We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Seiya Suzuki is on fire. David Robertson might be a closer. The Cubs are undergoing a transition. We talk about that and a whole lot more with Sarah Sanchez here on the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast brought to you by WinBet. I'm Jeff Erickson here and my guest today is Sarah Sanchez. You can hear her on Bleed Cubby Blue and Cup of Cubby Blue. Uh, she's also playing in Tout Wars. She's done work on Fangrass before. Sarah, thanks for coming on today. Yeah, Jeff, thanks for having me. You bet, you bet. So, hey, it's a transitioning time for the Cubs. You know, we had a good, a, a really good, strong generation, uh, won a World Series, broke the drought, uh, but it was tough. You had guys get traded away. Rizzo, Bryant, Baez, uh, the core, a lot of the core is gone. Wilson Contreras is still there. Uh, what was tougher, the trades last summer or seeing those guys sign elsewhere this offseason? A little bit of a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. I I honestly, that trade deadline is one of the most devastating things that I've been through as a fan. And I look, I get it. Baseball's a business. I've watched lots of guys come and go, but I have never seen a team, particularly a team that deals in loyalty and history the way that the Cubs do, right. just abs- absolutely fail to extend any single player from that 2016 core. You know, earlier this offseason, I got into it a little bit on Twitter with some people. And and I think that the way I can best explain it is I cheer for the Cubs because there's at least a hope that they're right. going to offer Orion Sandberg the biggest MLB deal in history at the time. Right. Or they're going to mm-hmm. try to bring back Greg Maddox. They botched it, but they tried. There was the fact that they couldn't extend one of Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, Javier Baez. And it looks very much like they're not going to extend Wilson Contreras is Pathetic. It's not why I cheer for a major team. I If I wanted to cheer for a team that's just really good at calling up guys at the right possible moment and flipping them for prospects, I would cheer for the Rays. Right. And, you know, we can, we have, we're simpatico because, you know, I'm a Reds fan. Um, and it's been a disillusioning year and a half, starting with the Rizal Iglesias trade for nothing. Um, and, you know, we're going to, hey, we're going to use that money, that flexibility to improve shortstop by playing Kyle Farmer there. Uh, you know, it just drives me crazy. You know, I was just talking about the Reds on my podcast, Cup of Cubby Blue. That episode dropped minutes before I dropped on with you. The Bob Castellini 
is up there acting like a very myopic billionaire who's like hopeful that the serfs can have some crumbs sometimes and they'll still come to the ballpark or I will. He literally threatened to move the oldest franchise in baseball. That is pathetic. And I'm over it. These owners are out of control. They are. They really are. Um, and, you know, it, it's especially with the, in the Cubs case, too. I mean, you have all this fan goodwill. You have obviously one of the most historic uh, stadiums in in sports, let alone baseball. Uh, I've been there many, many times. I used to live four blocks from Wrigley, but uh, you know, you have this incredibly loyal fan base, uh, all the income you want, revenue stream you want, and you still go through this. And that, that that's still, I can, I, if you can make a baseball reason for it, I, I get it, but it wasn't. I mean, starting with the Chris Bryant contract manipulation dates back to that. Even when they were competing, you know, they, they still, used a financial reason to make a decision rather than a baseball reason. And teams like the the Cubs, you know, any big market team should not be behaving like that. 100%, you know, and Jed Hoyer went out there and tried to say, oh, our offers to these players, when you see them, will think they're competitive. And that's true. They offered, they had a competitive offer to Anthony Rizzo. They offered him more years. They had a competitive uh, Mm -hmm. contract discussion with Javier Baez that actually got cut short by the pandemic shortened season, but like Javier Baez should get, you know, a little bump from loyalty and the fact that there is literally a street named after him in Humboldt park. Like you would hope that the Cubs owners would appreciate that Anthony Rizzo signed a team friendly deal to be part of your world series core. And maybe you can tack on one extra year or 15 extra million dollars to keep the man who should have a statue outside of Wrigley field someday on your team rather than trading him to the Yankees and being like, well, we couldn't do it. I mean, you were talking about letting Rysel Iglesias go for nothing. Kyle Schwarber was non-tendered by yep. the Cubs over $2 million before he turned into Barry Bonds for the Washington Nationals and the Boston Red Sox last year. So I'm kind of furious about it. I am excited about some of the new guys. I think that there's a lot more hope in Wrigleyville than there was when this offseason started, but I'm pretty disillusioned. Yeah, I can understand that. Uh, and especially... You know, because you look at the starting rotation, you see it's still work in progress. Uh, you, you see that there, there could be more investments there. Uh, but and, and especially now that I used to be like the biggest Kyle Hendricks honk out there. And we're starting to see when you lose, when you don't have velocity and then you lose a, a mile an hour off that velocity. Well, bad things happen. You don't have anything to change off of and the change ups you go to. It's, it's a problem. Well, let's start with Kyle Hendricks because a couple of things there are really interesting. You know, he had a great opening day start against the Milwaukee Brewers. He really looked like Kyle Hendricks of old. And then earlier this week, facing a Pirates team that really is a triple A team. That's not a major league baseball team. He could not locate at all. And it was telling to me after the game, Wilson Contreras was asked what happened with Kyle Hendricks, what went on there. And and Wilson really didn't want to talk about it. He just like he didn't have any command. And that was true. If you go back and look, a lot of times when Kyle Hendricks has gotten lit up, he's gotten kind of babbib to death. You know, it's like a lot of soft contact, but it just dropped where a guy wasn't. And that will happen and should happen a lot with a pitcher who gives up a lot of soft contact. Sometimes your guys are just not going to be positioned right. But in this outing, that was not true. The Pirates were hitting him and hitting him hard. The exit velos between his first start and his second start, I think it was like seven miles per hour difference between what the Brewers did against him and what the Pirates did against him. And he's got to be more of the Kyle Hendricks who showed up on opening day if he's going to be effective this year. I haven't started him yet. I have him on my Tout Wars team. He's on the bench. I don't dare start him yet. You had a premonition that could not go wrong. And you follow that there at least so you avoided the the damage. Uh, 
I wonder, you know, too, it, you, you, with a pitcher like Kyle Hendricks, he's working with a lesser margin of, for error. If he's off by just a little bit, that that leads to the bad exit velos. And, you know, he did this a little bit last year. I remember got cuffed around by the Braves badly uh, to the point where I benched him the next week in a two-step. And in the first start of that, I was like, oh, as he shuts down the Dodgers, I'm like, what am I doing? I'm benching Kyle Hendricks for two-start thing. And then he faced the Pirates and got knocked around. And that, that sort of maddening inconsistency is just difficult, especially because you're not getting the strikeouts to make up for it. Right. Absolutely. You know, there's something interesting about Kyle Hendricks' struggles the last couple of years, really, that I want to, I want people to at least be aware of. I don't know that I have an answer for it for when you should start him on your fantasy team, but I think it is interesting. I imagine that if you are a changeup specialist and you're a guy who really needs to locate, the constantly changing baseball is a disadvantage to you in yeah. a way that it is not to some other pitchers, right? Like if you're going to get like slightly different movement on a pitch that is already ridiculous and nobody can hit it. I think that's not quite the same impact that happens when you have to pinpoint your location absolutely perfectly in order to get outs like Kyle Hendricks says. And it's kind of what I think, and you would know better than I do. You're a Reds fan. Kind of what I think happened with Luis Castillo a little bit last year too. I think that those guys that didn't have that power fastball, didn't have that power slider, really got impacted by the changing baseball a lot more than some other guys. Let alone two different baseballs, as Dr. Meredith Wills has uncovered. Uh, yet again, shenanigans from Major League Baseball. Um, you know, it's just, it's amazing that we're dealing with that. And every year, and now we have to think about the baseball. God, you know, I've been doing, covering fantasy sports for 25 years, and that never used to be a thing. Yeah, there was like the, there were years where there's the rabbit baseball. There were a couple of years in there. Uh, the Brady Anderson year comes to mind uh, that you're wondering. Well, that but it's also conflated with steroids and expansion. There are a lot of different other reasons for that. Now it's like every year, what what ball are we playing with this year? Well, and isn't it interesting that all of the random baseball shenanigans happen right as base as MLB buys Rawlings for product control? It's like what yep. type of control do you have? when the baseball changes so much that all of us can see it in the data and all of us can see it in the games, you watch outfield, you know, they teach you to watch outfielders. So you're not the fan who's cheering for the long fly ball instead of the home run. You can't even watch outfielders anymore. Outfielders don't know what those baseballs are going to do. Right. Yeah. We all, you know, some people grow up wanting to be Michael Caine, getting excited over every fly ball. They teach us not to be at least though. So we'll see. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm not comfortable starting Hendricks. Uh, I, in fact, I don't think I have him in a single league last year after having him in six or seven leagues last year. And it's weird. It's weird not having him, but uh, they liked Cal Hendricks so much. They went out and they signed a slightly different, uh, slightly younger, slightly uh, faster version of him in Marcus Stroman, another pitch to contact pitcher. Marcus Stroman, they picked up Wade Miley off of waivers or when the, uh, I think it was the non-tender from the Reds. I can't remember yep. if it was a non-tender or not, but like, yeah, they've got a whole, they've got a whole rotation of guys who are going to give you soft contact. And um, as far as I can tell, they're I, look Nico Horner's defense so far this season at short has been outstanding, yep. but I am not a fan of the idea that you're going to run that rotation out there and hope that Andrelton Simmons is going to somehow be the Andrelton Simmons of old. I just, it, it really kind of boggles my mind from a defensive 
standpoint. I do like Strowman a lot. I think Strowman's fit in really well at Wrigley Field. Yep. I think that he's going to, those fans, he's going to eat that crowd up. That's going to be amazing. He's going to get energy off of it. And I actually like him in Colorado this weekend. He has really good numbers in Colorado, like bizarrely good numbers in Colorado as opposed to some other pitchers. So I wouldn't be scared of starting Marcus Stroman this weekend. And I think he's going to do good things. But yeah, the the most interesting guy from a power standpoint in the Cubs rotation is Justin Steele who I think has a job as long as Wade Miley is on the IL and he's, he looked really good against the Brewers. Yeah, he did. Uh, and I wonder if lefties are going to give the Brewers a hard time for a while now too. Uh, I'd like to see what happens with him. Steele was interesting. His first start against the Reds last year for about four innings, he was untouchable. Uh, and then that fifth inning, he tired a little bit. I think there was a uh, defensive miscue and then the gates broke open. Uh, and I feel like he's another margin of error sort of guy too, unfortunately little bit of a margin of error sort of guy although he's done that a couple of times he did against the Reds he actually had a really nice start against the Dodgers last year I watched him go toe-to-toe against the Dodgers that was one of my favorite games that I saw in person last season the Cubs are going to piggyback him with Keegan Thompson a lot and Keegan Thompson might get a spot start here and there too um their pitch lab has done a nice job of developing some names you've never heard of so if there's ever a fifth starter out there for the Chicago Cubs and you're like can I trust this guy you might be able to they've got some interesting arms out there yeah, they do. Uh, it's a shame Edward Alzale's hurt because um, he was going to be the power arm that they didn't have. And Well, and he developed a new pitch. He developed a cutter towards the end of the season to try to combat some of the issues he was having with left-handed power. Right. He had the worst lefty power splits in baseball last year. And look, I know, like, lefty splits, righty splits, that's not news or anything. But when you looked at his splits in particular, he was like an order of magnitude worse than any other pitcher against left-handed batters. And that cutter looked like he had started to cut into it, at the, no pun intended, at the end of the season. And I am excited to see what he does when he's healthy. Yeah, I am too. Uh, you know, I, you know, Anthony Desclafani had that same issue and it was a similar response to try to uh, attack that there back first with the Reds and now with the Giants, obviously the Giants always like to grab X red pitchers uh, and try to make them better. And it usually works. So uh, Alex Woods out there having fun. Kevin Gossman was a red for about a minute. Um, and, you know, they could have gotten more out of him. They could have tried the non non tendered him too, by the way. The Giants and Cubs have some really similar things going on in terms of their philosophy with pitching right now. And it's not a mistake. Scott Harris, who is the GM for the Giants, came from the Cubs front office. I think the Giants obviously did a little bit of a better job with that last year, which is why they won Mm -hmm. 107 games and the Cubs had to trade all their players at the deadline. But I do think that the Cubs strategy with pitching could pan out better than people think it will. But it requires some really pristine defense. And I'm not sure that we have seen that today. Yeah, I mean, you do have, uh, as you said, Nico Horner, uh, Andrelton Simmons. Hopefully he looks like the Andrelton Simmons of old instead of an old Andrelton Simmons. Uh, but uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see about that. They, they have all this interest. Uh, and and they, they're a weird team because they've got these young guys coming up. And then you've got Patrick Wisdom, Frank Schwindel, Rafael Ortega. Not old guys necessarily, but middle middle age for baseball guys that are finally getting their first chance. Yeah, guys who are kind of blocked in other places. I mean, I Frank Schwindel looks like the real deal. I know he's gotten off to a slow start this season, mm-hmm. but the bat has always played in the minors. It's sort of bananas to me that he didn't get a shot at some point with the Royals or with the A's to see what he could do with that. I, I think Frank Schwindel is going to turn around and come out of it. I'm a little, not a little bit. I am a lot worried about Patrick Wisdom. The strikeout rate last year was 
abysmal. It was, I, I think it was 40% at the end of the season. It might've been 39.8 or something, but it was really high. It's higher this season. He's striking out close to 47% of the time. And he just kind of looks late on everything. So that power you were getting from wisdom before is, has it manifested. I found myself wondering if Jonathan VR is going to get some more playing time there, but they seem to be committed to wisdom at the moment. Now that leads into another question I had about VR, but, uh, and plus when Simmons comes back, that's yet another person into the mix too, that could lead them pull wisdom. So, uh, and yes, I did that on purpose. Sorry. Uh, not sorry. Um, one more pitcher before we uh, talk about uh, one more starting pitcher. Uh, and this is a prospect, Caleb Killian. When I saw him in the Arizona fall league, it was his first outing. It was not a good outing. It was awful. I saw, I was sitting with Keith law and we were uh, watching it and he's like, I really want to see this guy. He's the guy who came over in the Bryant trade. Seven runs later, and it, it was – there were a couple of real shots. There were some co- command issues. It was awful. And then I look and see at the end of Arizona, the Arizona Fall League, he, he's like the championship game MVP. You know, I see now why they they traded for him. And it, I, I want to know how quickly do you see him coming up? Do you see him uh, getting much of a chance this season? Caleb Killian was putting up those numbers last year, late in the season after the Bryant trade. And he piqued my interest immediately. I am a huge fan of Caleb Killian. I'm actually planning on uh, taking a couple of field trips to some Cubs minor league games to get some eyes on him because I I'm super stoked about him. I don't, here's the problem with the Cubs and their prospects for this season. If they don't have a winning record at the trade deadline, they have a lot of one-year contracts that they can flip for even more prospects. And there's just really not an incentive for them to start the clock of a Brennan Davis or a Caleb Killian or, you know, Braylon Marquez kind of took a step backwards last year. Be still a really interesting arm lefty who throws about 98 miles per hour. Like they have some prospects who could make a difference in the second half of this season if the Cubs are winning. And I just don't know that they have built a team at the moment that is going to have a lead in the division to give those prospects a chance at the end of 2022. But I will tell you, I drafted my first dynasty team early this off season. I'm really excited about it. And I've got Caleb Killian on that team. I've got Brennan Davis on that team too. And I am very excited to see what they do in 2023 and beyond. Cause I think both of them are going to be monsters. Yeah. I'm excited about them too. And you're right about the team context. Look at the Royals last year with Bobby Witt. We all thought he was going to get the call early, but after uh, starting well early on in the season, they took a nosedive pretty hard, pretty fast. Um, and there was less of an incentive for them to call him up. And that's what happened. So now we see him this year, at least. But uh, yeah, it might that might be a reason to pump the brakes for this uh, for 2022. Uh, before we move on, talk about the bullpen. A quick note from our friends at WinBet. WinBet is now the exclusive sponsor for Rotowire's fantasy podcast. WinBet brings you all the latest action from with a user-friendly interface, Moneyline Bets, Boosted parlays, over-unders, round robins, live betting, and so much more are at your fingertips. Want a break from sports betting? Head into WinBet's digital casino and take a spin on roulette, double down in blackjack, slam the slots, or try your hand at Baccarat. WinBet is currently available in nine states. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia, while rapidly expanding. At WinBet, the possibilities are limitless. Register for WinBet today, make a qualifying deposit, and wager to receive $200 in free bets. Promotion may vary by, by state. Download WinBet now. That's W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. WinBet, the exclusive partner for Rotowire's fantasy podcast. I'm Jeff Erickson. My guest today is Sarah Sanchez from Bleed Cubby Blue and Cup of Cubby Blue. Um, I teased the bullpen, but my goodness, I'm bearing the lead. We na- we titled the uh, podcast Say, Zook- Say a Suzuki Splashy Start with Sarah Sanchez. A lot of S's in there. Let's talk Suzuki. How awesome is he? 
better than advertised. And I had high hopes. I mean, so I did a deep dive on Seiya Suzuki sort of looking um, both when he came over, but also looking at the outfield options for the Cubs because it's pretty crowded out there. And if you're trying to make some fantasy decisions, that's something that you want to keep an eye on. One of the things that I found was a community piece over on Fangraphs uh, that is outstanding. I can't recommend it highly enough. And I'm blanking on the author at the moment. So I apologize that I'm not giving them credit. But this looked at players who came over from the MPB in their season immediately before they came over to the major leagues and how they did hitting wise there and how they did hitting wise in the majors. And and in the case of Shohei Otani, it looked at both of his last two seasons because he had been injured the immediate season before. Seiya Suzuki's numbers were better than either of Otani's numbers as a hitter. Now, obviously, Suzuki is not a two-way player, so I'm not saying he's the next Shohei Otani, but I am saying he might be a better pure hitter than Shohei Otani. And if you've watched any Cubs games so far this season, you probably agree uh, Seiya Suzuki's doing a couple of things that are really interesting, and at least one of them stabilizes early enough that it's caught my eye. He does not chase pitches. His um, outside of the zone swing rate is the lowest in baseball among right. qualified batters. It's 8.3%. He has a lot of strikeouts at the moment, but it's because he's watching pitches. And if you are watching him, it's almost like you can see him taking notes on how pitchers are approaching him and trying to get an idea of what they will do. The most impressive thing to me about this is that those first two starts against Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff, he did not look overpowered at all. Those are two of the best pitchers that Major League Baseball can offer. The Brewers are one of the best pitching scouting teams in the country, in my opinion. They're really good at how they face batters. They're really good at having a game plan for new hitters. And Seiya Suzuki absolutely won that first round against Brewers pitching. He's hitting to all fields. He's hitting home runs to all fields. And he's doing something that Chicago Cubs fans may have forgotten about because it's been so long since we've seen it. But situational hitting with this kid is off the charts. So if there is a guy on second or there's a guy he needs to move over, he gets it done to move the guy over. He hits the sack fly when he's supposed to. It's why he has nine RBIs in five games. He's, you know, I, I know that RBIs are one of those stats that we don't, they're not predictive and it's not something that we look at like a chase rate or something to see if he's a great hitter, but it does tell you a lot about his baseball IQ and how he approaches the game. Seiya Suzuki looks like the real deal and I'm excited to see if he can maintain it. Obviously MLB pitchers are going to adjust. I think Suzuki is going to adjust back. He looks awesome. He does. He really does. I mean, he, he, the one he hit, the ball he hit off Peralta was just monster shot. It was a hanger. Wasn't the fastball, but still, nonetheless, it was fun to watch. You know, as you mentioned, Burns, Woodruff, Peralta, that's, that's a nice way to break into the majors and he handled just fine. Now he gets to go to Colorado. I think he's going to be awesome in Colorado. I can't wait to see what he does in that ballpark. You know, he hit two home runs. He had a two home run game against the Pirates and the Pirates are, or the Pirates, the Rockies are not throwing anyone against Seiya Suzuki that I think is going to overpower him or even be a challenge in the way that that Brewers pitching was in the opening series. So I think that Seiya Suzuki could have a really big weekend. Yep. By the way, that Fangrass article, I think it's Dan Simborski. I, I never pronounce his name right, but uh, you know, he, you know, he's been a Dan, Dan's been in the sabermetric community forever. Really good follow on Twitter. Uh, and does great work at Fangraph, so check that out. Uh, and he does—he actually does some of the uh, uh, projections over at one of the projection machines too, if I recall correctly. Zips, Zips. Zips projection machine. Yep, yep. Which makes sense because he's got the Z in his last name, and that probably is a clue in how to pronounce his name. But uh, yeah, I'll—I'll I'll, I'll become a little less clueless in the future about that. Okay, so we got Seiya Suzuki. He's awesome. Uh, what other things should we be looking forward to on a positive note on the on the Cubs lineup? 
who are you else excited to see? You know, I'm actually really excited to see what Nico Horner does this year. Yep. If he can stay healthy, he, you know, showed up in the best shape of his life. One of those types of stories. Mm -hmm. uh, the defense looks good at shortstop right now with Simmons injured. He's getting a chance to play every single day. And I didn't have Nico Horner as the first home run for the Cubs this season, yeah. but he's the one who hit it. And it didn't look like a cheap shot. It was an absolute laser. And if he's got, if he's actually going to realize some power this year, He's a super nice player because he's going to get a lot of at-bats. He's a contact hitter, so he's going to give you like a 270, 280 type of average. And if he's going to hit you 10 or 15 home runs, that's that's a good player to have in your lineup. He doesn't really have a challenge for playing time other than some old injured guys that the Cubs have brought on. So if Nico is dealing, they're going to let him, they're obviously going to let him do his thing. Um, other guys that I'm interested in, Ian Happ looks like MVP Ian Happ. And look, I, I know, I know. I have written the piece, will the real Ian Happ please stand up? Mm -hmm. He is either an MVP player or he is one of the worst hitters in baseball. But he came out this year looking like MVP Ian Happ. And if he can maintain that, if he has actually changed his approach enough that he is not going to have those super low lows and he can just keep it more even keel and have those spikes of greatness, Ian Happ is still a first-round draft pick. He's still a guy who could theoretically put up an MVP season. And along those same lines, another person I'm super interested in, although in a little bit of a playing time competition with Ian Happ, but I think there's a way around it. Clint Frazier is another first round draft pick, had some concussion problems yep. with the Yankees. I think that the worst that we've seen from Clint Frazier can almost all be attributed to injury. And there is a world, admittedly, a lot of things have to go right for this to happen. But there is a world where both Clint Frazier and Ian Happ channel that prospect pedigree that they had when they were picked in the first round. And you wind up with an outfield of Frazier, Happ, Suzuki, and that outfield could theoretically mash. And I'm yeah. real interested if they do. And theoretically, Brennan Davis on the way sometime later on, too, which would be pretty sassy, too. Uh, I think Ian Happ, all he has to do is just his, his mental approach has to be, I am playing the Reds right now. And that would do it. Uh, he just owns the Reds. You know, he went to University of Cincinnati, too. I mean, he, he's there, there's there's that connection, you know, just tore them apart. In fact, it kind of turned around a season, I felt like, last year when there was a series against them where he, I think he had like four, five homers in four days, something of that nature, just, just tore them apart. I think that was right before Ian Happ got hurt. I was ready for the Ian Happ breakout for 2021, yep. and then he got hurt, and it had happened in Cincinnati. It's not just Cincinnati, though. Ian Happ really can sustain yep. like a real nice Wobo with some power. In fact, people forget that in 2019, he spent a lot of his season in AAA. He was trying to get that strikeout rate down and trying to figure out a way to be a better, to make better contact at the plate. When he came up in September, he put up a month's worth of numbers that would blow anyone's mind. They, they looked as good as any player in baseball. The longest home run hit in 2019 was for the Cubs, was not hit by Chris Bryant, was not hit by Wilson Contreras, was not hit by Anthony Rizzo, was hit by Ian Happ. Yep. He hit the first homer of the season in 2018. I remember that against the Marlins. Uh, started the scoring for the season there. Uh, yeah, he's had a lot of those moments. He's just got to pull together a full season. He's got to stay healthy, too. What's your thought on Nick Madrigal? Uh, I, I, I'm conflicted on him, so I want to hear what you have to say about him. I mean, I like Nick Madrigal a lot as a contact bat. I like him a lot as a second baseman. I am a little bit wary. My, my biggest concern with the Nico Nick situation was who was going to play there if and when Andrelton Simmons is healthy and presumably playing it short so that the Cubs have better defense for this rotation 
that we just talked about because neither of them really profiles as a designated hitter type. It would be kind of strange to see them in that role. But both of them are young and both of them need at bats. As long as Andrelton Simmons is on the IL, I think that you're pretty safe having Nico and Nick Madrigal in your lineup because both of them are going to play and both of them are going to do fairly similar things. Um, I worry a little bit about playing time when Andrelton Simmons is back. Yeah. Uh, makes me wonder why did they sign Simmons? I guess for the defense, but I always thought that Horner was a pretty strong defender though, too. I just needed some time. He had this weird breaking into baseball. Remember Addison Russell got suspended. So they, they called up Horner before I think, think he was ready and then, then buried him the following year. Yeah. He has very few minor league appearances. In fact, if I remember the double a season had already ended. So Nico Horner got the call up when he was at home on his couch was mm-hmm. told that he basically yep. needed to be at Wrigley in September. And he showed up and was absolutely amazing. I've heard um, from his college coaches and from other coaches that his approach to the game is just super mature for his age, that he plays older than every level that he's in. So I think there's a, I think that Andrelton Simmons is more of a backstop in case Nico Horner gets hurt. He has dealt with injuries so far in his time in the majors. He's a backstop in case Nico or Nick gets in over their head because either of those dudes can play a solid second base and then you would at least have a plus, well, a theoretically plus defender in Andrelton Simmons um, at short, which the Cubs absolutely need. They can't afford to just throw a triple-A guy at short with the rotation that they have. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, Quickly, let's attack the bullpen real quick. Uh, David Robertson, is he the guy? I think he is for right now. Uh, David Ross is a little bit old school here in that like he's kind he kind of looks for guys who have saved in the past and that's who's going to get the save. I will say I think that Michael Givens is the more electric arm. Uh, that funky arm slot that he has is just ridiculous. And, you know, I'm trying to remember who I was just talking to about this on a different podcast, but we were, we were talking about the oh, uh, it was my podcast. I was talking to Craig Calcaterra about this mm-hmm. uh, when we were talking about his new book. You know, Michael Givens has always played in remarkably hitter-friendly environments. Yes, he like has. In Baltimore, he played in Cincinnati. Like, now he gets to play at Wrigley Field, and if the wind's blowing in at Wrigley, Michael Givens is going to have a much more pitcher-friendly environment to see what he can do. And one of the things that jumped out at me, uh, if you read Baseball Prospectus, Mikey Ahedo over there, before Michael Givens signed with the Cubs, had a piece looking at him relative to other relievers. And there's a chart there that he has that shows like vertical um, angle and where his release point is. And I will not bear you with, or I will not bore all of you with all of the specifics here. But the point is that on this chart, you've got every single reliever kind of mapped out. And the three outliers who are all kind of clustered in this weird zone together are Paul Seawald, Craig Kimbrell, and Michael Givens. And that's an interesting set of companies for Mr. Givens. That's definitely an eclectic trio, uh, yeah, for sure. And Gibbons was good with the Reds for a while. Uh, you know, again, the ballpark gets everyone there. One, he, he did ultimately end up tying, leading the Reds in saves, despite getting traded there at the at the deadline. He and Heath Hembry for those trivia masters out there, but uh, eight saves apiece for them. But yeah, I, I think he looks good. I mean, he's he had, gave up the one solo homer. Sure, that happens. But five Ks, no walks so far. Like you said, live arm. I, th- I like Robertson a lot. I think he's always been good and healthy. He's you know 20 months removed from TJS now. And, you know, he's gotten it done before. I think those are two very good arms. I think both are probably better suited to closing than Rowan Wick, despite Wick wanting to be the closer. <laughs> 
I agree with you. I'm somebody who was out there as a Rowan Wick has the job, but as soon as those other arms were added, I don't think that Wick is the guy anymore. And I think that's good mm-hmm. for him. Like I know he wants it and I, I think he's better in a seventh inning role. Um, they've also got some other interesting arms out there. Chris Martin uh, had a nice inning of yep. work the other day. Um, and Ethan Roberts threw a slider the other day that honestly blew my mind against the pirates. It had a, <laughs> so much break on it. Uh, that it's it's worth going out to find the video of it. He, he's okay. making his major league debut right now. But if he throws that slider consistently, I don't think he's going anywhere because that slider is absurd. And he's always worked in the bullpen in the minors too. I'm looking yeah. at him up right now. I, I don't know a whole lot about him. But anytime someone mentions it, okay, got to check it out. You know, there, there's and there's certain guys that have been that way that have revealed themselves uh, early on in the season. Sometimes you don't you don't have the bandwidth to get it all in a regular in the in spring training. So like another guy like that, uh, Felix Bautista on the Orioles is another arm that I've seen some like this rising fastball that made Wander Franco miss and. You know, you make Wander Franco miss. That's 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 getting some work done there. So I love hearing names like that this time of year. Yeah, me too. Yeah. All right. Uh, we're going to do some news of the day, but first got to take care of some business. A uh, couple of reads and then we'll get in our, uh, our our Blue Wire sponsor note as well. So hang in for one minute here, folks. Bet against others with no fees involved. That's right. No pesky hidden fees to ruin your day. Better Edge is a social betting marketplace where there's no fee on each transaction. Better Edge is a social betting market marketplace, and chances are it's legal in your state. We bring back betting to its social roots where you can like, comment, and challenge other users all within the app. Play without getting played at Better Edge. Go to betteredge.com. That's B-E-T-T-O-R-E-D-G-E.com to sign up today. Thanks to Better Edge. Also from Vivid Seats, baseball is back. That's right, an entire glorious season, all 162 games, And with live events resuming, you can actually be there to catch all the action in person with Vivid Seats. Every backdoor slider, every round tripper, every doubleheader can be experienced live. And with Vivid Seats rewards, you can start earning free tickets from your very first purchase. Just buy, collect stamps, and redeem. It's that easy. From behind the dugout to up to the upper level, Vivid Seats has you covered for all the games that matter to you. Pro tip, buy tickets for your whole group, split the bill, and make progress towards your free ticket even faster. Just visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Life happens live. Thanks to Vivid Seats. Actually, I hope to use them uh, for the Reds-Dodgers game this weekend. I'm going to take my daughter, so should be fun for that. Uh, finally, we always host our podcast on the Blue Wire Network, so here are a couple ads from them. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? 
you need indeed. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. And thank you for your indulgence in hearing all the ads. Again, I'm Jeff Erickson. I am here with Sarah Sanchez from Bleed Cubby Blue and Cup of Cubby Blue. Uh, let's talk some news of the day. And the biggest news item on the cycle for the last 24 hours has been Clayton Kershaw's near perfecto. Seven perfect innings. Beautiful job. It was amazing to see him back after having not seen him pitch during the playoffs last year. 13 strikeouts on 80 pitches is absolutely phenomenal for anyone, but particularly for a guy who's dealt with some injury issues. Um, I have Clayton Kershaw in a couple of different leagues, and I am loving that pickup right now because I got him so late for somebody who can still come out and do that. There's a couple of interesting things about that outing that I want want to talk about. The slider usage was up. He really adjusted to do the things that he wanted to do to make sure he was getting guys out. But before I do that, can I just say – I know he's had injury problems. I know the Dodgers have larger ambitions this year. I hate what I'm seeing with pulling guys in no hitters and perfectos early <laughs> this season. You Darvish and Sean Manaya started the Padres season back to back starts with no hits and both of them got pulled. Clayton Kershaw has a perfect game going and he gets pulled. And I got to say, I, I agree with Jake Arietta here. Jake Arietta was out on Twitter last night saying you cannot pull Clayton Kershaw when he has a perfect game going. I still like history. When I get the alert on my phone that there is a no-hitter or a perfect game in the seventh inning, I want to tune in and I want to watch it and I want to be interested. And I don't want to see Alex Vestia give up a hit to the second guy he faces. (laughs) It's just not why I watch the game of baseball. And I don't think that's why anyone else watches the game of baseball either. So let Clayton finish his game. Yeah. I Here's the thing. I would have loved to have seen that. I also have no problem with why the Dodgers did it because he was hurt last year because of the shortened spring training he hadn't thrown 80 pitches since June. Um, and the velocity was down in his last inning at work. I mean, these are things they knew too. I mean, I, I think they had all that information as a fan. I want to see it maybe at and start three and start four. It might be a little bit different. If we had had a full spring training, it might be a little bit different. If it wasn't crappy weather in Minnesota, it might be different. I don't know. I, th- th- these are all things that I, I thought were mitigating factors, but I get you, I get it. We all want to see it. And, Unfortunately, it's not like, oh, three times out from now, it's going to happen again. It just doesn't work that way. You know, you can't have everything going the way it does. He had it on a string. I'm, I'm thrilled that he, for at least one start, he looked like the Clayton Kershaw that we know. The, not the, the, bro- the compromised version. I want to say broken because he's still pretty good, even when he wasn't wholly himself. But compromised version that we saw last year. I, I want to see like full on Clayton Kershaw, even if it's not to the benefit of my fantasy teams. Yeah, I mean, Clayton Kershaw looks... 
you know, it's he's not 2014 Clayton Kershaw when he would just go out, he was automatic and you knew yep. he was going to the Hall of Fame. And I still think he's going to the Hall of Fame, but it, oh, it is it is interesting to me. And, and it's just a little heartbreaking. Like I want to live in a world where a guy like that gets a shot at a perfect game. And I feel like the more analytics have, in, have encroached on managerial decisions and particularly for certain teams, you know, the Dodgers, Dave Roberts, I've lost track. This is like the third or fourth guy that Dave Roberts has pulled with a perfect game or a no hitter in the works in the last few years. And it's just, I don't know, as a fan, I miss it. I miss being able to tune in and see every single pitch and wonder is, is this the day that Clayton Kershaw is going to be perfect? And we'll never know. Sure, That's true. I get it. I don't think this was an analytics decision though. I think this was a health decision. It's, I think that's different, but you're right. Ross Stripling, I remember, you know, had the no hitter against the Giants. And I think in his debut, if I'm not mistaken, too. Uh, and he got pulled. Uh, I, and his dad afterward thanked Roberts, though, for that. So, I mean, there, you know, it, there's there's always countervailing arguments. Yeah, we always want to see history made. There's only, what, 23 ever in perfect games. We saw three in the last year we had one was 2012. We had three of them that year. Uh, King Felix has the last one, too. Uh, and my buddy, I play softball, Brendan Ryan. He, he was on the defensive end of the last out. So that was pretty cool. So that's uh, awesome. Yeah. He also made the last out against Philip Humper that same year. So yeah, both sides, both sides of that coin, as far as that goes. And now I got to tell Brendan tonight at softball that I mentioned him on the podcast. So there's that too. Uh, but uh, other stuff, Vlad, Vlad Guerrero Jr. was amazing last night. What a laser show. So anytime you're hitting multiple home runs off of Garrett Cole, I am interested, but then he hits the third home run. I think it landed in the second deck. I saw a tweet. He had like 1,268 feet of home runs yesterday, and he was kind of stutter step stepping around the mm -hmm. base paths in the Bronx. The Boo Birds were raining down. I love Vladito. He's one of my favorite players to watch. I don't have him anywhere, mainly because every time I was in that sort of like six to nine spot of a draft and I did a mock of it, I couldn't get the team I wanted building around Vlad. I needed to get steals or I needed to get mm -hmm. a third baseman there. Or I needed to get right. pitching. Like there were, I had problems with every build I did in a mock where I started with Vlad, but I, he's a tremendously exciting player. I love this Blue Jays team, although I'm a little heartbroken that it looks like we've lost Teoscar Hernandez yeah, for a little bit. Yep. I was that was crushing for me. I do have Teoscar on a couple of teams and I, but yeah, that, that light show from Vlad was stunning and incredible. And I also love the tweet from his dad saying the kid is on fire, which I just thought was great. Yeah, that was awesome. He also had that laser double down the right field line too. And he, and the pitchers he did it against Cole and Loisega. I mean, Loisega is awesome. And hit that one in the upper, the second deck there. Uh, it was beautiful. I can't remember if I have Loisega on my Tout Wars team, which is a saves and holds league, or if I targeted Loisega and just missed on him. But you're absolutely right. Loisega has nothing to sneeze at either. If you're in a saves and holds league, he's definitely on somebody's you roster. You have him. Yeah, he's you likely have him. I'm looking at the roster now. You got him. I have him in like both main NFPC main event leagues. I think he was active on both teams this week. So, yeah. Uh, well, it was a solo shot. It's fine. Yeah. We're both uh, going to wear that home run. It's okay. It's all good. It's all good. Uh, speaking of Tower Wars, you're doing Tower Wars for the first time this year. You're doing the saves plus holds league and it's OBP instead of uh, batting average. It's also innings pitch instead of wins. How, how did, how'd the draft go? How did, how do you like your team so far? I absolutely love how the draft went. Um, I did a lot of planning and mocks with that to make sure 
that it that I had a strategy going in that I felt like I could execute and that the players would be available to put together the team that I wanted. Really love the alternate scoring format. I'm more of an analyst by trade than a fantasy person. I mean, I've mm-hmm. played in a lot of different leagues over the last few years. I'm in Glarf in the Earth League and some other places. But this this is, you know, definitely stepping it up a notch to be in that Tout Wars league against Alex Fast is in that league. Chris Towers is in that league. Lots of Jen Jen is in that league. Like lots of really great people who I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm a little starstruck. Um, No, love the, love the draft. I wanted Devers Burns. And then I wanted a source of steals that could play second base. And I think I managed to pull all of that off. I actually think I overshot on saves and holds pretty considerably. So I've got to do a little bit of adjusting there, but I wanted to see where people would wind up. And frankly, saves are one of the, big question marks in the league. So I want, I didn't want any question marks there when I was um, on draft day, but the team itself, I could, I I could use a little bit more flexibility, definitely still getting used to the on roto platform. It's my first time using it, but so far so good. And, and we'll see how it goes. I'm feeling okay about it. Yeah. It's fun. uh, It's fun to play in alternate formats, especially like if you don't have to chase saves you don't have to have the inflation that we usually get liam Hendricks and josh Hader went in the fifth round of this draft not in the second or third that we've been seeing all season draft season long and as someone who this i'm, I'm trying to adapt to the new reality you know when when the saves are more concentrated in a certain number of pitchers you have to make that decision do you want to get one of them or not and it's tough being on the not side sometimes but uh saves plus holds no problem. That you know, it takes away that problem for me. Giovanni Gallegos, come on down. You'll get a save or a hold. I don't care. Yeah, I think my biggest regret right after that draft was that I had drafted Michael Fulmer with my second to last, last pick and Chad Green was still available. And I thought that was mm-hmm. a bit of a, of a mistake because I definitely would have taken Green over Fulmer if I had realized it. But honestly, if that's the if that's the question right. mark coming out of your draft, that's a pretty good draft. Man, I messed up my 28th round pick. Ay, ay, ay. I can't, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I'm looking at your team, Corbin birds, Raphael Devers. That's a fun, that's a fun turn. And you had to draft 12th because yeah, rookie hazing. I'm new. Yeah. You know, but, but the new, uh, new people towards the end, you and Matt trust are new to the league. Uh, but that's a heck of a start. Oh, it's a great start. And you know, Burns got, roughed up by the Cubs, which honestly, I wasn't that sad about. I will say, if you had shown me just like the lines for Corbin Burns and Kyle Hendricks on opening day, not put the names on them, I would have definitely reversed those. I would have thought that Hendricks was Burns and Burns was Hendricks. I think Burns is fine. There's nothing in his peripherals or his velocity or anything going on there that leads me to believe it was anything other than just a bad start on a really cold day at Wrigley Field. So um, yeah, I love that start. Really love Devers and didn't want to mess around with third base, frankly. Like I, fe- I felt like every time this draft season that I let third base slide past the fifth or sixth round, I wound up with some guys that I didn't like nearly as much. Right, right. Uh, I, I, it's been a topic we've been covering all year is like, what do you do at third base for sure? And uh, plus, Devers is fun. He's just fun. You saw him turn on that uh, uh, Garrett Cole fastball on opening day and like, yes, more like that please plus you have the ultimate fun player in wander franco too uh nick cassianos in philly is fun well wander franco in an obp league is just a steal in my opinion i think that he's an on-base guy and even if you're like a little bit worried about his batting average i think in an obp league wander franco can definitely play this is the only league where i got both nick cassianos and kyle schwarber and we did the draft before we knew they they were going to be philadelphia phillies but i am thrilled with that. They were both targets of mine. I didn't get them in a lot of places because they went higher than I 
was able to draft them like I was going to take them on my next pick and they went right before me but in this league I have them both and man that Phillies team is just going to rake <laughs> they're going to a raking lineup <laughs> they're going to rake and they're going to drop they're going to they just don't watch them play defense you know or or do if you like that if you want the you know a fan of farce so because all that uh poor Alec Bohm the other day oh he was just just miserable but I've- uh it's going to happen to all of them at some point in time. They have a lot of guys who have all been projected to be designated hitters at various yep. points in time. That's right. And by the way, Bohm's getting on base almost every single time. So don't cry for him too much there. But uh, yeah, it, it, that was just a tough watch. But Schwarber, man, Schwarber in Philly. That just, please stay healthy. That's all. I So I love Schwarber in Philly for a couple of reasons. That home run he hit to open the season was just perfection. But, you know, Kevin Long at the Nationals was really the person who helped him turn around what the Cubs had never been able to do and unlock that next level of hitter in him in 2021. And so when Kevin Long went over to the Phillies and then the Phillies turned around and signed Schwarber, I was like, wow, he gets to keep working with the hitting coach that really helped him step it up. I I think Schwarber has a 40 home run season in him, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him just blow well past that and hit like 45. Sure, I can see that too. Uh, and Castellanos too. I mean, we were t- talking about, well, Castellanos isn't going to be in Cincinnati anymore. Well, Philly's a pretty good landing spot too, ballpark wise, lineup wise, you know, hitting behind Harper, man, that's tough. I don't know. Can you handle that? I don't know, but, uh, it's just so a nice. merciless on base percentage onslaught too. Yep. It's like, these are guys who mash, but they're also guys who get on base. I, I pity the pitchers in that park. Yeah. In at least just got a lot harder. That's for sure. Uh, although Tyler McGill, Shut him down. And Tyler McGill's looked great in two outings so far. Uh, I picked up Tyler McGill on waivers in a couple of different leagues, and I'm very glad I did. He's been one of my best pitchers so far this season. He looks incredible, and he looks comfortable. A lot of times you get called up to, like, fill in for a Jacob deGrom, and the moment can overwhelm you, and it has not overwhelmed Tyler McGill at all. He's got that, you know, he's got that huge, so tall, like, when he releases the ball, you're kind of like, oh, my God. I love Tyler McGill and I, I doubt, I doubt he's available anywhere right now, but if he was just snatch him up right now. Well, and maybe not, but maybe you trade, you know, Todd Zola used to call it buy high, you know, because you know, the, the, the generic basic, very good fantasy advice is buy low, sell high, buy the dip, you know, get, you know, buy when there's blood in the streets, whatever phraseology you want to do. And that's generally good advice. But I think sometimes with these breakout guys, you can do what, you know, people say you're buying high, but you're you're tip, you're actually not paying full price. When you see a guy that's a breakout guy, I remember Jose Bautista the year he broke out. He's my canonical example I use all the time. No, he he's he's not just this good. He's that good, and he's going to stay that good for a while. Uh, and you can get him still for like a year and a half after his breakout. You could still get him underpriced. Yeah, that's a great point. I think that lots of people don't recognize how good Tyler McGill can be for a sustained amount of time because he wasn't projected to be part of the starting rotation at first. And I, but I I think he's going to be, and I'm here for it. The, that Mets pitching staff is really quite a bit of fun. It is. It is. And now Taiwan Walker's hurt. So that, that provides the Avenue even when, if, and when DeGrom comes back, but I don't think it's coming anytime soon either. I think Miguel's pretty, pretty well ensconced. I think he's, it's going to be hard to get him out of there. Uh, Eloy Jimenez did not start today after hurting his ankle yesterday in the rain. Uh, Man, he, he was off to such a, a nice little start. Hit that massive homer yesterday against Robbie Ray. I, I, I'm i a big fan of Eloy, but I'm starting to worry. Is he injury prone at all? 
think Eloy might be injury prone, but the Chicago uh, the Chicago news news types have uh, said that he's that he got good news. He's feeling fine. He had a good night's rest, and he didn't get any bad news about that ankle, so he should be back soon. I think the bigger problem is that this is now a continual issue for him, right? I mean that pectoral tear last year when he was. I don't even know what he was doing. It was oh. like, why are you trying to steal oh. home runs at the last couple training. of games of spring uh. training? I, I had Aloy on my TGFBI team last year. I had Aloy and Starling Marte and Marcelo Zuna. I mean, it was just like a crush of like, and that guy's gone and that guy's gone. I think I lost like my top five picks at one point in time. So I think Aloy is great. I think Aloy hits like the natural. Um, I, I actually watched him do that move when he was in the minor leagues. He, literally hit out the light tower down the line. I just don't know if he can stay healthy. Yeah, uh, it's a concern. And right now, all the White Sox, it seems like that's a concern right now. Uh, It's every day there's a new one. Yeah, and uh, particularly for their pitching staff, I'm I'm pretty worried about it because the Royals and Tigers are not the bottom dwellers that they once were in that division. Losing Lance Lynn was a huge blow for them, particularly since they didn't re-sign Carlos Rodon. And, like, I love – Lucas Giolito, but you've got to have some people behind him doing some things. And right now, I, I, there's a lot of question marks in that White Sox rotation for me. I mean, when you're turning to Vince Velasquez as your home opener, I mean, uh, that's your sign right there. It's a good lesson in needing to build depth. We talked about Tyler McGill. I mean, ready to step up, step in right away. You need that sort of depth. And they not. And they, the thing with Rodon is, okay, it's one thing not to sign him to a five-year, three-year deal or a five-year deal, but give the qualifying offer for crying out loud. Worst thing that happens is he takes it. There's not a bad one-year deal out there. Right. I mean, one year of Carlos Rodon would have been great for them, right? Like yeah. the man, he looked incredible in his first start for the Giants. And instead they're sitting there like you kind of wonder, like, is Michael Kopech going to get some starts? What's going to happen with Ronaldo Lopez? And those are live arms. They're interesting arms. I've watched them a lot and they're fun, but I just, it's not quite the same as having a rotation that is anchored by Lynn Rodon and Giolito. And right now, they don't have two of three of those guys. Yeah. And they're counting on Kopech to get stretched out. Now it's not just a, Hey, it'd be great if he threw 150, 160 innings. It's like, we need you to throw 150 to 160 innings. And that's a big difference there. Absolutely. Yeah. So we'll see about that. Uh, I know it started as a Cubs cast. We ended as a Sox cast there, but uh, you, you just dropped a new podcast. Tell everybody about it. Yeah, so the latest episode of Cup of Cubby Blue came out. We go series by series with that show. So we kind of break down what happened in the last series, look ahead to the next one, and try to cover news and notes from around the league. So we have a few different items of interest there if you want to know what happened in that riveting Cubs Pirates series. Okay, you probably (laughs) don't, but that's fine. Like, you know, you can check that out. However, if you are interested in the battle of surprising uh, teams at the start of this season that's coming up this weekend at Coors Field between the Cubs, who are 3-2, half a game back of the Cardinals, and the Rockies, who started 4-1 and managed to make make it look like they were competitive with the Dodgers, which I don't really think they are, but it's still interesting. Definitely check it out. The Rockies have a ton of interesting hitters at the moment. Connor Joe, in particular, is doing some interesting things out there in Colorado. And of course you've got Chris Bryant and Randall get Grichik out there who are not surprises, but you, you always knew course field was going to play well for those guys. We're also, we also did a little bit on um, the history that was made in the giants game 
earlier this week when yes. Alyssa Nacken uh, made her coaching debut. It's the first baseball card I have ever bought. I have a Topps card commemorating Alyssa Nacken's debut, and I'm pretty excited about it. And um, a little bit on the MLB streaming deals, which frankly I think are probably the worst idea that ML <laughs> amongst the worst idea that MLB has ever had. Fans have spent years saying, hey, we just want to be able to watch games without blackouts. Make it easy for me to predict when and where I can watch my team. And instead, MLB has decided to grab a slew of random games and throw them on Peacock Premium or Apple Plus or Amazon Prime or anywhere else that you may not already have a subscription to. I just this league is trying to extract more money from the fans who already watch it. And I, I already pay quite a bit of money for my MLB TV subscription, I don't necessarily want to tack on 20 more dollars a month so that I can hopefully catch the random game of the week on whatever. Instead of cutting the cord one place, you've added 10 other cords. Exactly. Uh, that's that's super frustrating. I'm with you at lockstep. Plus the Cubs, we all know about the various markets and blackout issues that they have to deal with there. They're among the worst teams as far as that goes. I mean, don't live in Nashville. Don't live in Iowa. We know that. Man, to be a baseball fan in Iowa, you've got to be hardcore because you can't watch any of like, I think you're blacked out from six teams and whoever they are playing at any given moment, you can theoretically be blacked out from half the league. And it's such an anachronistic thing to do that too. Uh, just, just to satisfy the RSNs, but uh, so it goes. Um, this is supposed to be a happy conversation though. I, I, I hate that we're ending on that, but that's okay. Sarah, I really enjoy talking with you as always. Uh, and we hope to do it again sometime soon. Yeah, Jeff, thanks for having me. This is great. No, no problem. Thanks to WinBet for the sponsorship. Coming up tomorrow, two star starters with Clay and Todd. As always, thanks for listening to the RotoWire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Please click that like button if you're watching on YouTube. Please subscribe. We do. It matters to us a lot. We appreciate you listening. Have a great day.